today from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. And you can find this in your Bibles or in the order of service. <coughs> the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Thank you, Andy. So we are uh, currently uh, going through a very short series uh, that we've called The Art of Neighboring. It's just three weeks long, last week, this week, and next week. And it's tied to the, uh, to the vision of Grace Valley Church. We have a pretty big vision. Our vision is to see all of Dundas impacted by the gospel uh, for the glory of God and for the good of our community. We want every um, man, woman, and child in Dundas to have a meaningful encounter with Jesus Christ. And what we've been discovering is that as you look at the New Testament, it's not actually primarily through Sunday services that that happens or even through various church programs that that happens, even though Sunday worship is central to the life of the church, and I'm not dismissing that in the least, and church programs are important for the edification and the building up of the church. I'm not dismissing those programs. But if you look through the New Testament, what you discover is, is that it is primarily through you and me, followers of Jesus Christ, loving our neighbors in our neighborhoods, that people are going to have a real encounter, primarily that people are going to have a real encounter with Jesus. And so we were looking at this last week, uh, trying to understand uh, what it means for us to love our neighbor, and we discovered that it means a lot more than just to keep the music down late at night and uh, make sure you keep your lawn mowed so your dandelions don't uh, seed your neighbor's lawn and that kind of stuff. It means to love your neighbor means actually to have the same concern for their well-being that you have for your own. That's a pretty huge command, isn't it? It's a pretty massive command. It's pretty much beyond all of our capacities, I would think. But it is through us loving our neighbors that way that people will praise us, live the life we should have lived, and died the death we should have died into their lives. Now, 
what I'm describing in terms of you and us loving our neighbor the way we ought to love our neighbor and giving uh, an opportunity for the gospel to speak into their lives through that is summed up in the word hospitality. Christians are called to be very hospitable people. Hospitality is a word that comes from Latin. The Latin word, strangely enough, and I, I mean, I don't know enough about Latin to be able to explain why this is, but uh, it's the word for host, guest, and stranger. I, I get guest and stranger because those are sort of similar things, but I don't know how it's the word for host and guest, but whatever. That's what I learned in my studies of the word hospitality. It means to open your home and indeed beyond your home, open your life to other people. You see, in, in the Bible, hospitality is much more than just friendliness. It's much more than just, you know, the occasional, hey, how you doing over the fence. It's much more than just hanging out with your friends and your family in your backyard on a, on a weekend afternoon. It means to actually care for those who are not like you. So there's a place in Romans, for example, Romans chapter 12, where um, Paul is listing all kinds of commands, and he says in, in Romans 12, verse 12, he said, or sorry, verse 13, he says, practice hospitality. Literally, that phrase is love the stranger. He calls Christians to care about those people who are very, very different from them, who are not like them in terms of their class or in terms of their ethnicity or even in terms of their beliefs, frankly. They're, they're people who are very different than them and people who are around them who are in need of our love and our kindness and our, our community with them. And you know, this is actually a call to be like God himself. On the front of your bulletin, you'll see a couple of quotes. The first one is from a book called The Simplest Way to Change the World. And it says this, The simplest way to change the world is to leverage your ordinary life for God's history-sweeping mission of hospitality. Do you hear that? To leverage your life for God's mission of hospitality. If you think about the gospel itself, it is an expression of God's hospitality. What is the gospel? The gospel is that you and I were alienated from God because we chose to live our own lives according to our own standards, by our own means, under our own power, for our own good. And we decided that we knew what was right and what was best for us, and we said to God and to His will and to His word, we said, see you later, I got my own ideas. And God, in His grace, rather than rejecting us, the stranger to Him, He pursued us, and He sent Jesus to come and to live for us and to die for us and to rise again for us, so that when we come to, to believe in Jesus as our Savior, He reconciles us to God. God welcomes us back into His family. If you want a picture of what it looks like, just go read the story of the prophet prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And what is so beautiful about that story, there's a lot of things that are beautiful about that story, but one of the things that's so beautiful about that story is that when the, the younger son is returning and he feels like a total goof, like a total loser for what he has done, rejecting the father, and he's like, maybe I can go back as a servant and not as a son because, you know, I'm a complete loser, but whatever. He should bring the smack down on me. Maybe he'll just let me sort of work for him on the farm or something. It says that the, while he was coming, the father saw him. He was afar off, and the father saw him. The father ran to his son and wrapped his arms around him and kissed him. That's hospitality. 
That's the gospel. You know, if you're here this morning and you've always thought that being a Christian, following God, having a relationship with God, being a Christian, all that kind of stuff, if you always sort of thought it was basically about living a right way and making sure that you do the right things and you go to the right places and you say the right stuff, let me tell you right now, that's not what it's about. What it's about is admitting that you are alienated from the one who made you and loves you more than you could ever imagine. But he stands there with arms wide open, ready to receive you if you would just lay down your sword that you've been wielding against him. We just, we just saw it in the baptism, eh? We just saw it when, when Liam had that water poured on his head. God was saying to him, I am here for you and I am never going anywhere. My hospitality is wide open for you. And you know, when we join God in practicing hospitality, something incredible can happen. It's in the other quote on the front of your bulletin. This is from a book by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. She says, through radically ordinary hospitality, strangers become neighbors and neighbors become part of the family of God. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Very quickly, we're going to consider hospitality. We're going to think about hospitality, biblical hospitality. You can follow the outline in the back of your bulletin if you would like. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the call of hospitality. It says the sacrifice of hospitality and the motive of hospitality. But this morning, I had like this brilliant epiphany, and I could change it to the call of hospitality, the cost of hospitality, and the cause of hospitality. Three C's. You know how I love it when that works. So scratch out those other ones and put the C's in because it's awesome. All right, first thing, the call of hospitality. This is pretty simple, oh, but oh so hard. Look at verse 9 in the passage. It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Here's the simple point. All over the Bible, God calls followers of Jesus Christ to be hospitable. The call to hospitality is a command. And because it's a command, it's for all of us. Now, why do I have to point that out? Because there are people here this morning, and frankly, if I'm honest, I'm one of them, who wants to say, look, I thought hospitality was a gift. Aren't, aren't some people gifted with hospitality, and therefore they ought to pursue hospitality and, and do hospitality? And the answer to that is actually, yes, hospitality is a gift. You can see it in, in verse 10. That's what, what Peter is talking about. He's talking about giftedness. He says, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve other as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Okay, great. The Holy Spirit gifts certain people for the ability to be hospitable. I have a sister who I think is uniquely gifted that way, incredibly hospitable, puts people at ease very quickly, never gets, gets ruffled when people show up unexpectedly, always seems to have food ready to go and time to sit down and talk. She's just incredible. I'm not like that. I know you find it hard to believe. But, 
some of us aren't gifted with hospitality. And so when we hear this command, you know, be hospitable, we, we want to say, ah, but that's for the people with the gift of hospitality because we want to get out from underneath the call to be hospitable ourselves. But here's the problem, problem, with gifts in the Bible. <clears throat> Virtually every gift, spiritual gift in the Bible is also a command. And so you read through Scripture and you go, oh, look at that. Some people are gifted with the gift of evangelism. That doesn't mean that the rest of us never have to practice it ever, those of us without the gift. Or some people perhaps are gifted with the gift of prayer. Does that mean that you who's not gifted with the gift of prayer doesn't have to pray? Of course not. You would never say that, would you? And frankly, the Bible actually most of the time lists hospitality outside of gift sets. So for example, in Romans 12, which I read to you just a minute ago, let me read a little bit more to you. Listen to this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in, share, in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. If you're going to try to get out from underneath practicing hospitality, what are you going to say? Well, you know, I also don't have the gift of love. I, I can't really come up with the zeal. It doesn't work. Interestingly, I, I never even thought about this recently. Until recently, as I was thinking about this, I never really gave it much thought. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives the requirements for elder. And shockingly, in the list of requirements for elder along with temperate and self-controlled and respectable, is hospitable. Those who are to be elders should be hospitable. Not just have the gift of hospitality, they got to do it. You don't just have the gift of respectability, right? We're all supposed to be respectable. Now again, I'm telling you this because some of you I know are introverts. And that means that you find being around people and in groups kind of draining. It's not that you don't like people. It's that people are like energy suckers. Like they suck energy from you. You like being around them. You have a good time with them, etc. But when they leave, you go, Ugh. And you want to use that fact about yourself as a way of avoiding hospitality. That's me. Can't do it. And some of you are just plain shy. And so you're not uncomfortable around groups and around people. And that, that may be true. But I'm just plain not very self-controlled. But yet, 1 Timothy 3 says, if I want to be a pastor, I better learn self-control. As well as learn hospitality. If you're shy, you've got to learn hospitality, even if it's in small ways. You can't escape it because you're not gifted for it. Okay? Hospitality. You notice how it says in verse 8, no, where are we? Maybe. Oh, yeah. It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why does it say that? The word there is the word for complaining, okay? And it's the word that is used to describe the people of Israel as they were traveling through the desert. Some of you may be familiar with this story. 
God rescues his people from Egypt. He takes them through the Red Sea miraculously. He promises to take them to this place called the Promised Land where their lives are going to be awesome because the land is flowing with milk and honey and they're just going to eat till they're stuffed and they're going to have peace and they're going to get to be their own bosses instead of told by the Egyptians how to live all the time. It's going to be awesome, right? And so God starts taking them along. And the longer it takes, the grumpier they get. They start saying, hey, we're out in the desert. Where are we going to find something to drink? And they complain about that as if God didn't think of that. Duh, come on. And then they're continuing and they're like, we, only, we don't have anything to eat. And so he gives them manna. And then they're like, but this is just bread. We want meat. And so he gives them quail. And then he says, you know, we don't like, they say, we don't like Moses. He's a lousy leader and he has to deal with that. And they just grumble, grumble, grumble. Finally, they're like, we want to go back to Egypt because we had onions and leeks and it was awesome. Like, if you read it, you think you people are nuts. And they complain and they complain and complain and complain. And you see, they went... But they didn't go willingly. So they were obeying, but they were not obeying willingly, and God punished them for that. And I just want to pause. This is technically not part of the sermon, but i got to go after it for a second. Kids, please listen for a second. This is tough, but when you do what mom and dad say, but you stomp your feet and you slam the door, or you mutter under your breath, and you talk about how you can't wait till you're out of the house and you get to do your own thing, you're not really obeying. You're knuckling under. You're being like the Israelites in the Old Testament. And if you offer hospitality, but you do it muttering under your breath, you poor wives who, and I know this sounds stereotypical, but the story seems to go this way a lot more than the other way. Your husband says, hey, I invited seven people over for dinner tonight. And you go, what? We have like nothing to eat. We were going to have, you know, macaroni and cheese. And now I feel like I got to make something half decent because you with your, mm, let's practice hospitality stuff. And you do it complainingly and grumblingly you're not actually doing it. See, Peter says, practice, offer hospitality without complaining. There's two reasons why you could grumble or complain while offering hospitality. Follow me with this. Last week we said, we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what Jesus said. But Jesus didn't just kind of come up with that out of thin air. He didn't, when he was asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't go, mm, oh, here's one. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a good one. He was actually quoting the Old Testament. And if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find that that law is found in Leviticus 19. But what's strange about it is right after that law, you know, it says love your neighbor as yourself, it talks about a whole bunch of laws that are really random and weird and don't seem all that connected to love your neighbor as yourself. And one of them is this. You farmers, when you go out and glean your field... Don't touch the corners, leave them alone. And when you're gleaning and picking up all your, your harvest, if you drop anything, don't pick it up again and take it. You've got to leave it. And the reason is, is because the poor need a place to come and glean from uh, the corners of your field and pick up the stuff that you have left behind. Now, this is called margin. You're leaving margins 
You're leaving the margins alone, okay? Now, any good businessman will tell you that you take all the profits of your business and, and you capitalize on them and plow them back into your business. So if you have an apple orchard and you pick the apples and some of them fall, you make sure you get the ones from the ground and then you put them into the business to, to maximize your profits. And God is saying to the people of Israel, he's saying, that's not how my kingdom works. In my kingdom, you have to leave a margin so you can share with those who need, who are in need, that I will send to you. That's hospitality. What does that have to do with you and me today? Well, our calendars are often very, very full. How are you doing today? Good. Busy, but good. As if busy is a virtue in the Bible somewhere. Our calendars are very full and our budgets are often very, very tight. And so when you're being called to hospitality, you're thinking in your head, ain't nobody got time for that. I got kids to raise, I got people to see, I got stuff to do, I got a job, I got a business, I got no time. I can barely build a relationship with one person. You're telling me to build a relationship with all six or eight people that live around me on my street? And frankly, I don't have cash for that either. Here's the reality. To do hospitality, biblical hospitality, it will cost you. It has to cost you. It will inevitably cost you. And you will need to scrutinize your calendar and scrutinize your budget to look and see, are there margins available? Well, you might have to say no to some things, some good things. And I could give you all kinds of examples, but I don't want to look like I've got an agenda. Like I've been thinking about you and like, oh, that person really needs to hear that. I think that they are worshiping that idol. Let the Holy Spirit convict your heart right now. Most of us know what's getting in the way, right? Most of us know. So you don't need me to tell you. So I won't, I won't give you the examples, but I will say this. If you're saying to yourself, well, this doesn't just fit my, our life right now. Someday when things settle down, I remember... I was just, it was just so fun to have you guys up here and your kids all insane and I thought Judah was going to throw water on the whole church at one point and it was great. And I remember being there and thinking I had no time for anything but just to keep them alive, right? And it'll get better. And now I have kids who can brush their own teeth, put their clothes on, usually can find their way to the door to catch the bus or whatever. I am no less busy now with my fam jam than I was back then. If you are saying to yourself, it just doesn't fit our time of life, it will. Or if you're saying to yourself, look, if we can just get that, like if I can build my business to there, or if our career can reach that spot, or, or if we just finish that work on the, on the summer home or whatever, then we'll have time for this. I'm telling you, there's all justifications. It'll never come. It'll never come. Because you have to build the margins in. Hospitality costs. It just does. I'm not going to try to fake it for you. And it can lead to grumbling because of the cost. But there's another reason it can lead to grumbling, and that's because hospitality may not produce the desired outcome. Um, maybe you say, okay, I'm going to do this. 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to become hospitable. I'm going to open my home to my neighbors. I'm going to have, you know, potlucks every night. It's going to be just like a boarding house in here. It's going to be amazing. And you do it, and you build the margins in, and you start, you know, you get three memberships at Costco because you have to buy everything in bulk because you're, you're feeding everybody around you who wants something to eat. And you're go, 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 go. And then you discover that you're not actually getting out of it what you thought you would get. In fact, people, they don't really are, they're not super grateful. They don't say thanks all that often. Uh, they never reciprocate. They don't invite you over. And worst of all, whenever you do try to say, so let's talk about something spiritual, they go, no thank you. And you think, I'm working so hard trying to be hospitable and, and I'm, not making, I'm not getting out of it what I expected to get out of it. That can make you frustrated. It can make you resentful. And what it can show is that there's actually an unhealthy motivation behind the hospitality in the first place. But if you will simply do what Peter says, love each other deeply. If you would just love Love the image of God before you simply because they are the image of God. There's a lot less chance of you grumbling for the wrong reason. Okay, last thing. So far, hospitality like is a complete downer, right? <laughs> uh, well, the motive or the cause of hospitality. It's the last thing we need to talk about. We talked about it a bit last week when we said it's interesting how God puts love of God and love of neighbor together. When Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment, he says love God with all of your being. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he's saying if you do love God with all of your being, you will love your neighbor as yourself. What causes us to love God with all of our being? It's the gospel, right? It's the gospel that motivates it, that causes this longing for hospitality because in the gospel, what you see is that God first welcomed us, right? We were estranged. We were a stranger. And he welcomed us in. It, it always blows me away when you take a little guy like Liam and you put water on him and you tell him, God is doing all these things for you and you don't know beans all about it. John says we love because God first loved us. We were adopted into his family. We were brought into his home. That's the ultimate motivation for it. But there's one more that I want to share with you that comes from this passage. And you can miss it if you're not really carefully reading. In verse 7, it says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. So it says, The end of all things is near, Therefore, now when you're in seminary, you're taught, look for all the therefores, really important. Because the stuff that happens after the therefore is caused by the thing that's said before the therefore. It's called an indicative that leads to an imperative. There's a way things are that leads to the way things ought to be. And what Peter says is, is the end of all things is near. Therefore, all these things including offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. What? How does the end of all things being near motivate you to offer hospitality? 
Well, what's Peter doing? He's reminding us of something really, really important. Friends, this world is ending. It's on a clock. There's a lot of people who think that there's no rhyme or reason to history. It just is, and it's pointless and meaningless, and it'll all get burned up in the sun at one point. But the reality is, is that God, God is a creator who has created history, and history is moving toward an ending. It is unfolding in a particular way where the end of all things is near. And the stuff that is here, the stuff that is part of this world, the stuff that, that, that take up so much of our time and our energy, it's actually temporary. And Peter is reminding us to focus our hearts, to focus our minds and our hearts on the things that are eternal, the things that matter. He says the same thing that Peter says, or sorry, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18. What does Paul say? He says, we fix our eyes on what is, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what, un, what is unseen is eternal. Let's face it. We get... We don't practice hospitality. I'm running out of the ability to speak, so I better hurry. Stuff. Stuff gets in the way of us practicing hospitality. This worldly stuff, it, it clutters. It could be, now I will use some examples. It could be our idolatry of family time. What? Yeah. We can be so careful to protect our family time that we have no margin for people who could become part of our family if we would think of family in a much broader uh, way. It could be too much sports. It could be too much work. It could be too many weekends away at the cottage. It could be all kinds of things that are in and of themselves very, very good. Our calendars are full of good things, but they are part of this world and they will not last. But friends, people last. When you look into the eyes of a human being, you are looking into the eyes of, of, of an eternal, not an eternal, but an immortal being. You have never, as C.S. Lewis puts it, you have never known a mere mortal. You are looking at a person who when the end comes and when the judgment is handed down by God, they will stand either for eternity under God's blessed reign or they will stand for eternity under God's righteous judgment, but they will stand for eternity somewhere. And hospitality is a way for us to invest in the internal. Even now, today, Father's Day. Maybe you know someone who doesn't have a father. And so today completely sucks. Or you know someone who has nowhere to go because, because today they are a father, but they're estranged from their family. 
And you know that about them. And you know that they're just going to go after church today to McDonald's, have a Big Mac, go home, lay on the couch, take a nap, wake up, sit in the backyard, and think about why things aren't different for them. And you can say, well, but we had this great little family meal planned. Or you can say, God's hospitality wasn't for particular days or for particular people. But it was for all God's people, including me. And you have the opportunity to invest in eternity. I have nothing further to say. Thank the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so hospitable to us. Teach us to be hospitable too. You held nothing back, not even your son, your most precious possession in order to be hospitable to us. Help us to, to give just as we've been given. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.